This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. I'm Andrew and this episode is going to be the first of three interviews with authors. We'll release them one a week for the next three weeks. And first up is someone who I had the great fortune of meeting a couple of years ago at the Edinburgh Festival, having experienced her stand-up routine, highlighting some of the amazing women from the history of science, who perhaps history hadn't shone a light on quite as brightly as it should have done. Samantha Baines is now the author of two books, Harriet vs. the Galaxy and The Night the Moon Went Out. We'll hear from Samantha very shortly. But next week, there'll be Cheryl Vint talking about the academic study of science fiction. And the week after that is Rosie Miles, whose book Girl of the Wild tells the story of her 10 years in the wilds of Africa. And after that, we'll bring you the long-promised episode on Stowaway. But without any further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, I am Samantha Baines and I do a list of things. So I am an author, comedian, actress, broadcaster and podcast host. Brilliant. So we've got to start with the podcast. So my podcast is called The Divorce Social, previously The Divorce Club. Um, And basically I got divorced and I wanted to talk to other people about it, but none of my friends were getting divorced. And it was this crazy like whirlwind awful but amazing time and I realized that if you start a podcast then you have a legitimate reason why people will talk to you about stuff so (laughs) it was a purely selfish idea um and Sarah Millican is the first episode and she agreed to talk to me about divorce and then it kind of all went from there and it's I learn everything I I learn everything and so much from every conversation I have and all my guests have incredible different stories and what's amazing is the messages from listeners that you know it's also helping them so it's not just helping me it's helping them get through a divorce or they have a friend who's going through a divorce it helps them understand or some people just message me and say that they're there for the goss and that's fine um I've even had to make a little graphic that says I don't want a divorce I just like the podcast for people who are happily married and worried that their partners will see their listening history so um but yeah it's been it's been amazing I've been doing it for just over a year and we've had yeah an award nomination and um, over 160,000 downloads. So oh, it's been, lovely. yeah, pretty cool. Can you just tell me the best thing you've learned from doing it? Oh, wow. I've learned, honestly learned so many things. I think, two, can I do two? Two key things for divorce. So Sarah Millican said to change your ex's name in your phone to be something funny, like something that makes you laugh. <laughs> Because one, when you're in all the conversations about legal stuff, it's so stressful. And every time you see their name pop up, you're like, oh, God, what now? So if you change it to something sort of funny or silly, it just makes you giggle every time. So you can change it to something quite mean. But I changed mine. And originally it got meaner, but originally mine was far orange. <laughs> and it just it was just so silly, but it just made me giggle. Yeah. So that was good advice. And the number two advice is from Helen Thorne. Um, from Scummy Mummies and she said have friends in Australia 
if you live in the UK mm. or somewhere e- equidistant if you live in a different country because in the middle of the night when you feel your worst you have someone to call I I haven't listened to it because because I am um very happily married I I think I haven't seen it for a few days so who knows <laughs> you're still allowed to listen if you're happily married I know you just have a little note you could set your screen background saying I don't want a divorce FYI I just like the podcast okay cool I think she knows that I don't want a divorce. <laughs> or yeah, you could just communicate with each other. That's quite a good thing in marriage. That's a really good idea. Yeah, no, let's do that. We want. I want to talk to you about the books and um, a little bit about science and science fiction and stuff. But before we do, um, you're in the Crown. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the Crown. I've, I've never watched it. So I mean, you're an awful person again. You haven't listened to my podcast. You haven't watched The Crown. I know, but it's so not... rude. What are you doing with your life that you're not just filling it it's with me? It's not you that I don't want to fill my life with. It's uh, royalty and divorce are the two things I'm not that keen on. So uh, it's nothing personal. Well, I can say I don't play a royal or a posh person. I play a cockney <laughs> in The Crown. So you might like me in The Crown. Um, so yeah, I'm cool. in series one, episode four, and it's the smog episode. So when a kind of um, sooty smog descended on London and lots of people suffered um, and were in hospital and I am called a Cockney lady called Mary Um, and weirdly I'm also a Cockney lady called Mary in a film called A Royal Night Out which has the same director as my episode of The Crown Julian Gerald so I feel like he was just like this is just the same character so we might as well get her in to do this as well (laughs) So Cockney Ladies called Mary, am I think. Okay. Um, but I am the housemate of Churchill's secretary, Venetia. Um, and I would say hilarity in shoes, but it doesn't at all. <laughs> Originally I had when they cast me, I had some real like funny lines in it. Um and then actually, when you watch the episode, it's a really like dark, sad episode. So they cut all my punchlines out. So I was quite sad about it. Um but uh, I'm still in it, luckily, because sometimes they cut bits out and then there's no longer you. But I'm still, I had more words than that, thank goodness. But yeah. it's actually quite a serious episode. But she had some banging lines about like Churchill and Hitler. Um, so I'm sad they're gone. But yeah, you'll get to see me coughing and doing an excellent Cockney accent, as always. Have you watched The Crown? Like, aside from you being in it, have you watched the rest of it? Well, I watched up to my episode which is series one episode four and then I was annoyed because I wasn't in it anymore so I stopped watching but I have watched um I have watched the most recent series actually because my mum loves it not because I'm in it she just loves it so she's watched the whole thing so I did watch the most recent episode and then I thought oh I'm gonna go back and watch the rest and I do love some of the actors in it like Olivia Coleman and Helena Bonham Carter are two of my like all-time greatest actresses so is it factual like is it like based in reality I think some of it is um and then obviously some is kind of fictionalized because it's a tv show a bit like Prince Andrew's interview (laughs) (laughs) allegedly (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, yes, yes. I, I don't know because uh, when he was being interviewed, I was in Pizza Express in my game, so <laughs> I missed that one. Is he in? Is he in the Crown? Is there like a version of him in the Crown? I do, I haven't seen one actually. No, it'd be difficult, wouldn't it? I don't know. Well, because I've only watched the most recent series, hmm. so I don't know. Does it jump around? Sorry, we should talk about other things, but I'm kind of intrigued. Also, I am not an expert on the crowd. Like, I was in one episode and haven't watched the rest, and you're like, is this? I'm like, I don't know. I know, I'm sorry. I just popped in in series one when, you know, it was Netflix, so we thought it was going to be good, but no one knew it would be the phenomenon that it is now. So I just wandered around and had a lovely time with some amazing actors and was like, oh, that was nice. I've got a Netflix credit. And then it kind of got huge. And it's so funny because people have started watching it over the last couple of years when we've been locked in our houses. And then so I've got like new messages being like, oh, my God, are you in episode four of The Crown? Yeah, that's me. Um, And I love those messages from people who are like, I was shouting at my TV being like, that's Sam Baines, that's Sam Baines. I'm like, well, thank thank you, I think. Why are you so angry with your TV? But sure. Yes, they should they should actually have it on screen, shouldn't they? So people don't have to shout it. They should say, yeah. have a little arrow pointing Yeah, and so say, that's can... Sam Baines. Yeah. And then it'll just appear for a while so people can just deal with the excitement <laughs> and then let it go. <laughs> so are you hoping to do more Netflix series that are as big as The Crown? I mean, it'd be nice, sure. Um, I went through a phase of doing period dramas, so I did like A Royal Night Out, The Crown and Call the Midwife. Um, but mm. since I've got my nose pierced and more tattoos, so I don't get seen for as many uh, period dramas anymore. They feel like Mary the Cockney could have nose pierced and tattoos. I mean, I feel like she should have a spin-off series from the crown of like, yeah. just like, just the Cockney women's life as opposed to the royals. Like, yes. what did Mary get up to after she survived the smog? She got her nose pierced way ahead of her time. <laughs> um, I was kind of thinking of time traveling Mary the Cockney. So like oh. she, she fits in wherever she is. Oh my God. Yeah. And then it would be sci-fi and then I'll get to have like cool sci-fi outfits and go in a time traveling machine and have like one of those holsters with a gun i've always wanted one of those in something theorizing that she could travel within period dramas and also other stuff love it mary stepped into the quantum leap accelerator (laughs) did you watch quantum leap loved it there is actually an amazing series called timeless which is like a time-travelling series where they go back into history. So they should just do another series of that and put Mary the Cockney in it. That would be... That's that's a, a lovely thing that will come in the future. But what does actually exist right now is two books, which I'm still not going to talk about because I want to ask you about the BFI. You do, you do stuff with the BFI. That's very fancy as well, isn't it? Yeah, the first time I went there... I, can you fangirl a building? <laughs> I fangirled a building. I was like, oh, I'm working at the BFI. How fancy. Um, yeah, basically, I, I host Q&As for them and events like that. And I've actually hosted, I didn't mention earlier, I should have mentioned in my introduction, I have a hearing aid and I'm ambassador for RNID, which is deaf charity. And, and also my books, when we talk about them, have deaf protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I started doing Q&As for them uh, with kind of films that featured deaf stories. 
originally. So um, there's a film called The Sound of Metal. Um, so I did a Q&A with the director about that and the kind of representation of deafness and the deaf community Can... and then also CODA. Cool. Sound of Metal, I watched in a garden with a friend in, you know, lockdown and stuff. And um, I loved it. What, what? How was it for you? It was it was so interesting because I watched it on a streaming platform and then I watched it at the BFI before the Q&A and it was amazing to see it in the cinema and I'm so glad I did because the soundtrack is so mm. important to that film and actually hearing it at that full volume and in the room with the proper speakers was so important and it's really interesting talking to the director because they put microphones like inside Riz Ahmed's neck and stuff to get the sound that, it's yeah, that so thing. that it sounded kind of like that internalized sound, not through your ears. And they did so many interesting things with sound. So I'm so glad I got to see it. I mean, there is a contentious point at, at the end. Don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, a representation of cochlear implants that some people with cochlear implants don't appreciate. Um, but but on the whole, I think it's a really interesting film. And, and also, mm. you know, when um, Riz Ahmed goes to kind of a deaf community and they all live in a house together and they're all signing, you can't really see what the other people are signing because it's all focused on his experience. So I know some people in the deaf community haven't have an issue with that, but they understand it's because it's from that character's experience and that he doesn't, you know, he's in this new world and he doesn't understand. So, I mean, I feel like with deaf representation in films, no one's really done it perfectly that everyone in the deaf community is happy with it yet. But, it's great that there is representation starting and that hearing people can watch those films and and maybe it'll spike an interest and then maybe they can do some research. Ruben, the world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness... That sound of metal, and as Sam says, the sound design in that film is truly astonishing. I recommend it purely for that alone, and there's a lot more to recommend it for as well. Sam and I did actually talk about that spoiler-ridden issue at the end of the film, and you can hear that snippet of our conversation at the very end of this podcast to save you from spoilers if you don't want them. Back to the conversation with Sam Baines now, and I asked her whether I should watch Coda. Yeah, I think it's a it's like a heartwarming. Everyone's talking about it. It was a Sundance um, favorite. They won loads of awards at Sundance. I think it's a film for hearing people. Okay. Um, 
rather than for the deaf community. I think it brings up some really interesting stuff, like you see deaf people having sex and driving a car and going to work, and it's, like, not an issue. And I feel like you don't really see that in other films, like just deaf people, like, driving a car and and living their lives, which is really nice. Um, Obviously, as I said... Um, there are some problematic moments that the deaf community have expressed, but it is hard. It's a heartwarming film, and I think it does raise awareness of coders, which are children of deaf adults. Um, so that's a hearing child of deaf adults who might have to interpret for their parents and things like that. So that's a really interesting aspect of it. And then it's like a coming of age story and there's like a cute ending. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a nice heartwarming film, but. Again, I wouldn't, don't let it be your, uh, don't let it create your view of the deaf community. That's fair. Let's talk about books because um, Harriet versus the Galaxy and the night the moon went out, there's a theme. It's funny because I didn't set out to write books about the sky and space, (laughs) but... As you know, I used to do stand-up shows about science and space, so it is an interest of mine. And I guess when I'm putting myself in the shoes of an 11-year-old, that's what I want to do. I want to go to space. So um, Harriet versus the Galaxy was my first book, and Harriet has one hearing aid, like me, and her hearing aid translates alien languages as they all do. I don't know if you're aware. Um, But uh, yeah, so Harriet, she has to go and live with her gran because her dad has to go away working in his van, um, traveling all around the country. And she discovers that her gran is a secret astronaut spy, SAS, and that she's training Harriet up to join the SAS. Um, And so they have to protect the Earth from a bunch of aliens called the munchers and the munchers eat things so there's like pen muncher sock muncher jumper muncher so you've ever lost something it's because the munchers eating it that makes a lot of sense yeah. so thank thank you for that information that's all right and that so that was your first book yes and um that went very well yeah it's been so nice um to get kind of letters from I mean I have to say out of all the things I've done writing books and getting letters from children who read the books is like the best thing ever um and or like you know they're all up on social media now so they do like a video and send it to me or something um (laughs) but you know getting letters from children who have hearing aids and I've never read a book with a character with a hearing aid before and then see Harriet and get so excited and like dress up as Harriet for World Book Day because they already have the hearing aid, you know, and tell me Harriet's hearing aid's green and they tell me what colours theirs are because children's hearing aids are really cool colours, whereas adults' ones are just like boring flesh colours. Mm-hmm. But I am getting a pink one, which I'm excited, bright pink, which I'm excited about. Um, so, yeah, it's just... It's there's also a non-binary character in it. So Harriet's best friend Robin That's cool. um, identifies as non-binary. And, you know, I've had a letter from um, someone in a school who says that they really relate to Robin and 
you know some days they feel like a girl and some days they feel like a boy and some days they feel like neither and it's really nice to you know read about it in a book and they don't feel so alone and and also just classes reading the book because maybe one of the the uh, children in the class has a hearing aid and then they all kind of get a bit more understanding of hearing loss and all chat about it it's so nice so and yeah it's won a little award and it's you know sold some books so um yeah it's been lovely it's it's a very lovely thing isn't it I don't you know we live in this very digital world don't we particularly in the last year or so and the physicality of the book is just so beautiful yeah I went to see the book being printed because I was so overexcited because it's my first book and the publishers are so good with me they're called Knights of um and they particularly focus on kind of um diversity in publishing and I was like can we go and see the book printed so I can touch it and they were like okay and so yeah we went to see it getting printed and so I actually like picked up my first copy off the conveyor belt that was printed on and it was yeah the physical copy is very exciting people being seen in the books that they read people you know seeing themselves in the characters it's 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 a beautiful thing that you're doing i know that you used to stay up late and watch star trek with your dad are you still watching star trek you watch discovery and things no i don't actually do you know what i there was a moment captain kirk gets uh, an animal put in his ear and then it starts eating his spinal cord and he's like screaming out in pain and that ruined sleeping for me for so I've slept with covers over my ear since I was a teenager because of that moment and I was scared that someone was going to come along it's like a horror version of the babel fish from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy it's like horrific um so that actually quite put me off Star Trek that much I vividly remember watching that with my dad and then going to sleep and being so worried about my ears and obviously Mm. now I have hearing loss I'm extra protect protecting Mm. of my ears so um that kind of put me off Star Trek Mm. it's a really interesting one that I, I, I don't think you're alone because that film is The Wrath of Khan, right? It's an incredible film. You know, it's Star Trek and it's an incredible film, which doesn't always go together. Um, but there's that moment in it where I'm like, I can't show this to my daughter because she's never going to sleep again. And I like it when my daughter sleeps. It's a really good Yeah. Film. So I, very bad Star Trek. But what I would say is that the, the latest uh, incarnation, one of the latest incarnations of Star Trek, uh, is this the TV series though? Or the yeah. film? I've seen the films. Okay. No, the TV series Discovery, um, it, it's definitely doing that thing where they're showing people themselves in in the things that they love. They're good. I, I love the series with that, um, the woman with the long black hair who speaks really softly. Councillor Troy. Yes. I love Councillor Troy. Yeah. Well, Councillor Troy also known as Marina Sirtis, is a previous guest on the Cosmic Shed. So <gasps> I know that was... She's literally, I just, I just loved her. Like, I just, I wanted to be her. I wanted her to be my mum. I wanted to be her friend. Kind of wanted to snog her, like all the things. She is my favourite because there are some more emotional series. Yes, there are. And I quite like the more emotional yeah. 
especially with Councillor Troy. Yeah, Councillor Troy. Yes, I feel similar to many of those things that you've just said. Um, not all of them. The snogging. The snogging. I'm not, didn't say Definitely. that. Didn't say that. Uh, so, like, the moon went out is your new book, which is out today, the day this podcast episode is released. Mm. Well, it's in the sky again, <laughs> which I didn't set out to do, but it's just where my ideas come from. Um, so the night the moon went out. So I should say it's a Bloomsbury reader. So it's published by Bloomsbury and it's a series of books for children who maybe struggle a little bit with reading. So it's a shorter chapter book. So they feel still feel the achievement of reading a whole book themselves, but it's not quite as long as other books. Um and it's for nine to 10 year olds. Harriet's for like six to 12. Um, and it's about a little girl called Anira, which is the actually the name of my friend's daughter. So that's cool. Um, I'm giving her a copy of the book. She's like one, but one day she'll be able to read it. Um, yeah. A little girl called Anira, and she has two hearing aids. Harriet only has one, but she has two. And she's scared of the dark, which. I have to say I was when I'm younger and maybe still a little bit um, now scared of the dark that someone's going to come in and put one of those things in my ear and then it'll (laughs) eat my spinal cord. Um, So Anira's scared of the dark and she's especially scared of the dark because when you have hearing loss and you use hearing aids, you have to take your hearing aids out at night um, to to either charge them or turn them off so the battery doesn't run out um, and also because it's uncomfortable to sleep with your hearing aids on. So obviously once you take your hearing aids out and it's dark, you can't see and you can't hear. So your imagination just goes off on one of all the creepy things that could be in the dark. So she's scared of the dark and her nightlight doesn't work one night. And her mum says, not to worry, there's a nightlight for us all. She opens the curtain and there's the moon. But Naira's not very happy. And she says, I don't want the moon. And the moon goes out. And then uh, Naira has to go on an adventure to try and turn the moon back on. And she meets a talking owl, as you do. Um, and it's like a gigantic owl and mm-hmm. uh, called Mrs. O. And the owl um, helps get her to the moon and they have to go and meet the owl parliament. (laughs) Get what I've done there. Because parliament is a group of owls. (laughs) There's an actual parliament where they all go and get advice. So they have to go to the owl parliament to get extra advice and then travel to the moon and see if they can turn it back on to save it for everyone. That's a nice idea, isn't it? That that, that a parliament is a collection of owls because owls are seen seen as wise. It'd be a nice idea, wouldn't it, to have a wise parliament rather than a bunch of absolute morons? (laughs) Well, actually, wise owl in the book, who's head of the owl parliament, speaks incredibly slowly. (laughs) So to get advice from wise owl takes like, hours (laughs) and there's always a queue of people well not people owls uh, waiting to get advice because it takes so long to just deal with one person so they have to try and skip to the head of the queue as well otherwise they'll be there all night (laughs) so um i feel like i've brought elements maybe of uh the current parliament (laughs) 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 of like taking ages to do anything yeah and do they all lie and just make stuff up and just put three words together and for some reason people believe their lies and vote for them no i think owls are nicer than humans oh that sounds lovely i'm going to read your book instead of the news (laughs) yeah do (laughs) it'll be quicker as well than the news (laughs) 
<laughs> so my daughter's reading the book. She's going to review it. For, oh, um, for I hope a, she a likes hundred. it. No one's reviewed. I've had one because it's literally just out. I think one um, child on Twitter got it slightly early and read it in like one sitting and mm. said that they really enjoyed it. But I haven't really had any feedback from people that aren't my editor yet. So I'm yeah. I'm scared and excited. So I hope she likes okay. it. Well, obviously, I'll send you the review. How long does it take you to write a book? Well, I'm quite quick at the writing, actually. But um, I should mention, actually, what's amazing is because my books are quite, it's called middle grade, which is very American term, but that's what they call it, which is this age range of like six to 12. Um, you can have, it's not a picture book, but you can still have illustrations. So both of my illustrators are incredible. So obviously, a lot goes into a book and it's more people than just me. And, and a lot of that is finding the right illustrator and then them creating this whole world. So Harriet versus the Galaxy, the cover is illustrated by Ella Masters, who I've been a fan on, of for ages and followed her on Instagram. And then the, in, uh, the interior illustrations are by Jessica Marie Flores, who um, is a hearing aid wearer and comedian from the US. And her illustrations are incredible. And I have lots of different planets and random aliens that have come out of my head, like Planet Tea and Planet Pancake, a lot of food related ones. Um, And she's just drawn them and and brought them to life. And they're incredible. And then The Night the Moon Went Out is illustrated by Lucy Rogers, who I started following on Twitter. And she is a hearing aid wearing illustrator as well. And I believe this might be her first book that she's illustrated Um, because, you know, the publisher says to you, are there any illustrators you have in mind for this book? And I'd followed her for a while and I definitely wanted, you know, because me and Anaira have hearing aids, I was like, it'd be cool if the illustrator did. And I'd followed Lucy. So I suggested her and luckily they loved her illustrations. And so she got to do it. So actually the writing is only a portion of it. But I would say Harriet took longer to write. It's a longer book. And also it was my first book. So yeah, Harriet was my first book. I think in total Harriet took about a year from writing and sorting it all out to kind of publication which is very quick in the book world and it's because I work with Knights of who are more of a boutique publisher um but yeah if I get I'm a bit I'm a bit obsessive so if I get an idea I just write it you know like every day keep going but actually I think a lot of it's funny I'm watching Mad Men at the moment and a lot of uh Don Draper if you if you watch it Don Draper is an advertising man um and a lot of his job is just like lying on his sofa, drinking whiskey, thinking of ideas. And actually, I feel like that's me with books, except I have Earl Grey tea with oat milk instead of whiskey. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is like thinking up ideas and letting them ruminate. And like I go for a walk with my dog, Custard, my new puppy. She's a miniature wirehaired dachshund and I love her. Oh. And like go for a walk with her and like little things pop up. And I think it takes quite a while to let the the idea solidify and all, all the different bits and the character. And, and actually, I think what I've learned now writing two books is not to rush that process before you start writing. 
because because I'm quite an impulsive person, hence all the things I do. Um, I'm always like, I've got a new idea. I'm going to write it down right now. But actually, that that process of kind of letting it ruminate and new ideas come up and and you know what what are the characters' wants and desires is just as important as the writing. Lovely stuff. I'm going to let you go, but um, I do have one more question, which is, what are your wants and desires for the future? <laughs> Um, well, Harriet has been optioned for TV. Oh, what? Which means that, if you don't know what that means, it means a company have basically said, we would like the rights to be able to pitch this to TV channels for a year, please, because we think it would make a good TV show. So a lot of the time, nothing comes from that, but it's just a nice compliment. Um, (laughs) But it would be amazing if something came from that just to have a series on TV for children with a hearing aid wearing protagonist would be really cool. So I'd be super proud if that happened. Um, But yeah, I just like to write more books, please, and um, have people publish them and read them. And yeah, I don't know. I think just, I keep, I've become, I said this the other day and, um, And I think it's a good title for me, which is an accidental activist, because (laughs) I seem to have, you know, I got hearing loss and then I started talking about it publicly and then I became an ambassador and started writing books and I got divorced and then I started a podcast and started sharing my story. And and actually, it's kind of come from just life. But for me, like talking about things that maybe get ignored otherwise or kind of breaking down taboos is is kind of become really important to me. So I think just doing more of that and helping people, which I know sounds a bit lame, but like, I don't know, it's just, I think when you go through something really big in your life, like, you know, I got divorced, my dad died right before my divorce, right before that, I got diagnosed with hearing loss and a hearing aid. It, and then obviously being shut in your house for two years, it kind of makes you rethink everything. And actually, I think the things I'm proudest of are the things where I've got to help people. And that doesn't mean I don't love playing Cockney Mary in The Crown, because I absolutely do. And I'd like more of that, please. Um, but yeah, if I can do more things that kind of help people or like make a little girl with a hearing aid feel not alone or make a little boy giggle because I've written a planet where aliens have two bottoms which I did do in my first book (laughs) and they fart to move around like then you know or if I can talk about my divorce and then that helps someone get out of a difficult situation then that's really cool so I'd like to do some more of that brilliant thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you I hope you enjoyed that chat with Samantha Baines. If you want to find out more about what Samantha's up to, you can find her on samanthabaines.com, at Samantha Baines on Twitter, and of course on Instagram as well. And right at the end of this episode, literally at the end, after the outro bit, you'll hear a snippet of the chat that we had with those spoilers about Sound of Metal. So stay tuned for that, or go and watch Sound of Metal, and then come back for that. And we'll be back next week, with, as I say, when we'll be having a fascinating conversation with somebody who actually makes a living studying science fiction. And thank you very much 
for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by the Stimulus Network. So Riz gets a cochlear implant, um, which is a form of hearing aid, and it's quite invasive surgery because they have to drill into your cochlea. And he thinks it's going to solve everything. Um, And then once he has it, he realises that it doesn't it doesn't bring sound back like he had before because nothing can. So it's still kind of almost like a digitalized version of sound. Um, And he's not very happy with that sound. And then at the end of the film, he takes his cochlear implant out and it's as if he decides to live life without his hearing aid and just with, it's not silence, but you know. Um, So in one respect, that's quite nice because he ex- accepts that he's deaf and he wants to live life that way. But in another respect, it sort of has a bit of a bad, gives gives cochlear implants a bit of a bad rep. And actually, for some people, they make such a huge difference and change their lives and are really useful. So I, th- I think it's just the way it's represented. I think if you had both sides of the story, and it's similar with... Um, kind of reactions from the deaf community on the film Coda, which I did a Q&A for. And I have to say, one, also, when I'm speaking to the people behind the, these films, it is so interesting and it does help me understand their decisions so much more than from when you just watch the movie. Um, but I think representing both sides of the coin in a film, even if the main character then decides to do whatever, it would be I think make people happier and also I I guess the thing is both of these films are written and created by hearing people and there there may have been a lot of deaf people involved and with Coda a lot of coders involved but the end of the day the director on the director and writer on both of those movies didn't have any form of hearing loss or deafness so also I think maybe that changes the dynamic. If you're getting advice from other people, but you haven't experienced it yourself, um, you know, that's a little bit different. So I can't wait to see a film by a deaf uh, creator and director. And and I hope that we can give lots of funding to people um, from the deaf community who want to make films to give them that opportunity.